Crossings Audio Archive, The Book of Esther, Winter 2017, Part 9. I'm not a real good wrestler, but I, I like watching it sometimes. I saw this YouTube video this week where this dude had a dude, like, like this. And this guy, no lie, doesn't just reverse the move, but flips over the guy and grabs him. I was like, how do you do that? First, how do you flip? I mean, being 300 plus, I, flipping's not my thing. But this guy, no lie, breaks the hold and flips over him and now has him. What a reversal. One point. Um, any wrestlers in the room? You watch wrestling? It's one point. Come on. Nobody? Not one person knows it's a reversal. It's one point. So, yeah, one point. And, um, but, but you don't typically win a wrestling match by just winning one point. The reversal's great, but you have to take it somewhere. Now, if he just stood there like this till that round ended... You get kind of weird after a while, right? You got to do something with it. So it's takedown. He took him down. That's two points. And that's how you start winning a match. You, you do something with the reversals. And in, in our text today, you see a, an amazing reversal. In fact, the NIV, NIV uses the tables were turned. Um, and God creates this amazing reversal for his people. Not just to stand there with it. Not just to enjoy, whoo, reversal, but to do something about it, to, to make something happen in this opportunity. Um, we're in Esther chapter 9, so let me give you the thumbnail version of the book. This will be like my, whoo, ninth time telling this story. It's worth telling. If you're here for the first time, I'm doing this for you. The book of Esther is the most celebrated book in all the Jewish scriptures, they celebrate uh, the holiday that came from this book still today. Uh, Hitler hated this book. He wanted it burned. He wanted it destroyed because it gave the Jewish people too much hope. It's the book of Esther. And uh, it starts off with this. Uh, King Xerxes, yeah, the guy that was in 300. He was a real dude. He was evil. He was powerful. He, like, really ruled the world at this time. King Xerxes, uh, when he first came to power, had a six-month party for the whole kingdom. Then he narrowed it down to like a week party for the people in the citadel. The Bible says when they were high in spirits, i.e. they were drunk, uh, he said, have Queen Vashti come out in her crown so we can appreciate her. Queen Vashti says, I'm not that kind of girl. She would not go. This angered the king and his officials around him said, whoa, king, huddle. If she's allowed to disobey you like this, None of our wives in all the kingdom will listen to us. We got to get rid of her. So they fire Queen Vashti. They hold a beauty contest to replace Queen Vashti. And this young Jewish girl, although no one knew she was Jewish, uh, wins this beauty contest. Her name is Esther. She becomes the new queen. She is... A cousin to a guy named Mordecai. He's a Jew. He's faithful. He lives in the citadel there. He actually raised Esther because she was orphaned. And there's a character named Haman that comes into play. Now, in chapter 3, Haman is this really evil dude. He's an Agite. This is important because we're going to come to this later. He's an Amalekite. That's his family tree. Um, and this guy named Mordecai, he's a Jew. And his family tree goes back to the first king of Israel, King Saul. So we have a descendant of King Saul 
and a descendant of the Amalekites on opposite sides. Haman hates Mordecai so bad that he wants to not only kill Mordecai, he wants to kill every Jew in the world, basically. How many say that's hating someone? That's some serious hating. He devises a plan, and his plan begins to crumble because God has a better plan. And he works things out to where a king can't sleep at night and realizes Mordecai did something special for him. And Haman walks in. He says, how can I reward the man that I desire the honor? Haman at this point was second in the kingdom. He was a very powerful dude himself. And he describes what he, how he would like to be honored because he thinks, of course, Xerxes is honoring him. Turns out Xerxes wants to have Mordecai honored. So he says, go to Mordecai and do what you said for him. Ooh, that'll kill your day. In fact, he was there to ask if he could impale him on a pole, not go reward him. Queen Esther takes her big shot and she goes to the king without permission, which risks her life and says, hey, king, this guy's wanting to kill my people. Can you save them? Long story short, Haman is literally impaled on the pole he set up for Mordecai. Everybody say, Yay! problem is this. Haman, being a dirty sneak, got King Xerxes to sign an order to wipe out every Jew on the 13th day of Adar. And in Persian law, once an order was given, it could not be revoked. So this was in motion. Chapter 8 last week, Esther and Mordecai are now saved. He's not hung on a pole. She asked a favor of the king and wasn't killed. They are doing well. In fact, King Xerxes gave Haman's estate, second most powerful guy in the largest kingdom in the world, gave his estate to Esther, and she gave it to Mordecai, and he took a signet ring and gave it to Mordecai. Xerxes says, here's my signet ring, which, like we said last week, was like a platinum credit card, onyx, or make the best credit card ever. You've got power now. They had money. And in chapter 8, they risk it all again to say, hey, we're going to ask, see, if they can't just ask the king anything, because they do, they could get killed. But they lay it all on the line one more time and say, will you save our people? So in chapter 8, they make up one more law to say, basically, the Jewish people can defend themselves. They, they laid it on the line, it was sacrificial. Now we're at the place where the tables turn. And we're going to talk about what do we do when the tables are turned? What does this mean for us? So Esther chapter 9, verse 1. We'll start there. It says, On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. What was this edict? It was, go kill all the Jews. Wipe them out. This is still happening. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. There's some cool things that happen when the tables are turned. It's an opportunity. And can I say that for all these Jewish people that had the opportunity to now defend themselves, it was a good day for them. Could you imagine if there were an edict to wipe you out? And it was so declared, it's the, you know, we don't have the month of Adar in our calendar, but let's say it was the 
13th day of December, 2017. An edict has gone out to, to kill you. And you can't do anything about it because the law says you have to let them kill you. Now, we're good Americans. We would never let that happen. Hua. But in a totalitarian system, they were, they were in trouble. But a new edict come out. The tables were turned. And there's this new rule that says, okay, you can defend yourself now. Hmm, that's good news. The tables turn. They saw Mordecai, a Jew, had the signet ring. Ooh, tables are turning. Oh, Esther, she's a Jewish girl. She's the queen. Ooh, tables are turning. Well, King Xerxes gave a letter to all the Jews saying, defend yourself against your enemies. Tables turn. How many say, that's good news? If you got up on the 13th month of Adar and you were Jewish back then, how many think you'd be like, eh, I feel lazy today. I'm going to watch Netflix. This feels like a Netflix day. I'm going to binge watch Stranger Things. <laughs> How many think that'd be a good idea? No, you want to do that on the 14th of Adar, not the 13th of Adar. Why? Because on the 13th of Adar, someone's coming to what you? Kill you and take your stuff. So you don't want to do it on the 14th or the 13th. You save that for later in the week. What would you do on the 13th? You'd probably, how many would get up at 5 a.m. that morning? You better believe it. You'd be up early. You'd be stretching out. Okay, I'm getting ready. Ah. You'd be working. You'd sharpen your sword. You would be prepped. If there were ever a day you were ready, it's the 13th day of Adar. Why? Because you have an opportunity that day to stop the enemy from coming and killing you and taking your stuff. You don't miss those opportunities. Can I say... We don't fight a physical enemy today. Can I say that again? We do not fight a physical enemy today. Jesus set a whole new thing in place. He says, if you have an enemy, love them. If you have an enemy, bless them, pray for them. So we're not out engaging some flesh and blood enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but it's against principalities. It's against spiritual forces of darkness there's an enemy that wants to take everything from you and like i say a lot humiliate you on the way out the door still steal kill destroy is his mission statement and when the tables are turned we have an opportunity to put a stop to what he would do in our lives that's good news how many say yes to that can i just say as believers your tables have been turned God has turned the tables in your life today, and today is a day of salvation. You have an opportunity to say, I'm not going to just let the enemy wreak havoc in my life. Through the good grace of God, I can begin to say, this far, no more. I'm declaring today, you're not taking another thing from my life. By God's grace, he's going to stop you from taking any of my joy, any of my peace, any of the things in my life. I now am born again. I belong to God. And the tables have been turned. There's been a reversal. I'm not going to just stand here and look ridiculous. I'm not going to sleep in and watch Netflix. I'm going to wake up to the idea that God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. And in him, you can do all things. So I begin to take that habitual sin that dogs and takes from me and humiliates me. And I say, God, through your good grace, I can live in victory. God, today I can walk in victory. 
I begin to take the unforgiveness in my life that, that's eating me up like a cancer inside. And God, by your good grace, you forgave me. I can, by your power, forgive today. And begin to draw a line in the sand and say, you can't take from me. So that's one thing that happens when the tables are turned. Like for the Jews in the story, because the tables were turned, they could say no to an enemy that was coming to take from them. They could say no to an enemy that was coming to kill them. And we today have that same advantage because the tables most certainly have been turned for you. That's good news. That's cool. There's something else that happens when the tables are turned, and I love this. Um, three different times in the chapter 9, I'm not going to read it all today for time's sake, it says they defeated their enemies, but they did not take their plunder. It says again, in another context, they defeated their enemies out in the other provinces, yet they did not take their plunder. Then one more time, in the citadel area of Susa, they had an extra day to fight their enemies, and they defeated them that day too, and the Bible declares again, they didn't take their plunder. What is plunder? Stuff. Like their house, their chariots, their clothes, their money, their pets. Anything they had, if you defeated that enemy, was theirs. And get this. The king even said so. So this is kind of a confusing thing. In Esther chapter 8, let's back up one chapter, verse 11. This is what King Xerxes said to them. It says, The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children. And to plunder the property of their enemies. Okay, so the most powerful man on the planet just said, don't only protect yourself from the enemies, but when you destroy them, take their stuff. How many think that's a pretty good reason to take their stuff? Yet, all the Jews in 127 provinces, this is a huge this is most of the known world at the time. Didn't take their stuff. Why? I had to scratch my head on that one. It's a good question, I think. Is how many know, like, if uh, you had some rich dude attack you and they said, you can have their McMansion and their car and their... I would be like, yeah. I mean, the president said I could. But they don't. And this was a lot of plunder because in Susa, it was 800 people defeated. In the whole kingdom, it was 75,000 houses, 75,000 chariots, 75,000 bank accounts, 75,000 sets of cattle, clothes, all this stuff. Nobody touched one thing. Why? Because they were getting it right. Remember I told you in chapter 3, Haman, the evil guy, was an agite? which was from the line of the Amalekites. And Mordecai was from the first king, King Saul. Back in 1 Samuel, 
King Saul had the obligation to go fight the Amalekites. They were evil, evil people. They attacked Israel. They basically attacked them from the back when they were leaving Egypt. And, and God said, I'm against these people because they were just dark and evil. And, and the prophet Samuel went to Saul and said, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to attack and kill the Amalekites, which he didn't kill them all. And he says, and you're not supposed to take any of their plunder. Don't take any of their stuff. Just defeat the enemy and let their stuff rot. Don't take it. Saul disobeys. He goes and he doesn't kill all the Amalekites. He spares the king and he takes their stuff. Just their best stuff so he could worship God with it. But he disobeys. And that disobedience plagued Israel ever since. And now here we have, all these years later, this group of Jewish people, the tables are turned and they're saying, you know what, we're going to do it right this time. We're going to get this right. We're not going to make the mistakes that our daddy Saul made that happened before us. We're not going to make the mistakes that have happened in our family line. We're going to set up something new and we're going to walk a different path. We're going to set up something new for the people behind us to follow. Did you know that the tables are turned? You could begin to set up a new path for your life. It doesn't have to be like it's been. And this is one of the good things about charting a new course. You can say, for my own life, by God's good grace, that the tables are turned, I'm now going to set up a new path to run. A path that finally gets it right. Some years ago, I was so excited to hear from my uncle, Del Mahoney. I'm Irish. And because my father was so drunken and drug addicted and in and out of prison and all the things that my dad was, I never really talked to the Mahoney's because he was such a wild man. They were like, oh, Russell, they got away from him. So just a few years ago, I got my Uncle Dell, which is, he was in his upper 70s at the time, Uncle Dell Mahoney, my father's brother, and I was so excited to talk to him about the Mahoney's. And he says, Trev, yeah, we came from Ireland, like you're... Great-grandfather, your great-grandparents were from Ireland, and here's the county. And I'm like, oh, that's so neat. Tell me about your brothers, your sisters, my cousins, all, all the Mahoney's. I want to know about the Mahoney's. He says, Trev, let me tell you. He says, we're either crazy, we're priests, nuns, crazy, and drunk, all of us. He says, be careful. I was like, oh, my. I found my family tree, looked up, and, and didn't like what I saw. I was like, I was glad I didn't know. But the cool thing is, is in Jesus, I have the opportunity to blaze a new trail. I have an opportunity for someone to call my family line and say, hey, we love Jesus. We don't terrorize our families. There's a new thing going on. Why? Because I'm better? No, because my family tree says I should be drunken, alcoholic, crazy person. But through Jesus, the tables are turned and it affords us the chance to start charting a different course. What was doesn't have to be. And that's what these Jewish people in these provinces, I'm sure there's a message in this idea that when the Bible repeats something three times, they're trying to say, pay attention. And through this chapter, it's saying they didn't take the plunder. They didn't take the plunder. They did not take the plunder. What, what are they saying? They're like, they're charting a new course. They're doing something right. 
They're doing something worthwhile. Here's the good news. Every one of us in that room have that opportunity because the tables are turned. If you don't like what's been handed down to you, change it. If you don't like the road you've been running, change it. Man, ask God to say, God, show me the picture you have for my life because you created me for your glory. You designed and created good things in me. God, give me a glimpse. Let me see that. And you start walking that out, not by your own strength, but every day you get up and say, God, help me today. And you change it. You make it new. Now in Esther chapter 9, verses 20 through 32, the rest of the chapter, they talk about the celebration called Purim. Purim means lots, cast the lots. And it's kind of a negative thing because Haman literally got the lots out, basically the dice, and said, what day are we going to kill all the Jews? That's how he did it. Oh, the 13th is a good day. Well, that, the tables were turned so strong on that, they took that negative thing and they said, we're going to celebrate this. We're going to make it our best celebration. And even today, the celebration of Purim is the most joyful celebration the Jews have. Hitler hated the book of Esther so bad, I said, he had it burned and destroyed. He forbid reading the book of Esther, Hitler did. He forbid the celebration of Purim because it gave him too much hope. Why? Because they're like, something that was evil... Something that was dark has turned out to be good for us. Something that was meant to kill us turned out to be our deliverance. Can I tell you, so many of you guys have had stuff that was meant to kill you, meant to take from you, but one day it'll be a good story. Your story's not done yet. One day it's going to look good. One day it's going to be something you could say, let me show you this and, and Verse 20 through 32 is, let's party, let's celebrate, and we're going to call it Purim. The very thing that was meant for our destruction, we're saying, nah, look at this picture of beauty. I will be so excited to hear what you name your day of celebration. Some of you guys are going to, you could say, hey, this is despair, this is brokenness, this is sickness, this was addiction, this is all these things. But what the enemy meant to kill and destroy me with, I now celebrate because... I'm walking a new path in Jesus. Why? Because the tables have been turned. I think that's cool. I just think that's super cool. The idea that God has miraculously turned the tables on our situation. An enemy that designed to kill, steal, and destroy, God has done the opposite. He's come and said, I'll bring you life. The enemy designed death. You were once a slave to sin. No control. You couldn't help but be trapped in darkness. I've come so that you can have freedom in life. I, uh, I love having friends that don't believe like I do yet. <laughs> My goal is that they would see what I believe, not because I don't think there's an us and them. I really don't. I, I think we're all in the same boat. Um, and I had a friend the other day, just recently, a new friend, look at me and say, so, you say I'm going to hell because dot, dot, dot. Well, I didn't say anyone was going to hell. He just brought that out of the blue, and I thought, whoa, good question. I had to think about that for a little while, and I realized, you know, 
I wouldn't go to hell because I come from an alcoholic family and alcoholism, that, that's not the thing. Al, alcohol is not going to take you to hell. I got to thinking, well, what would? Will lying take you to hell? Well, ultimately, I don't think that is what would send someone to hell. Or Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's that affair. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's homosexuality. Or those are the things that send people to hell. And, and I'm like, nah, no. The really simple answer as to what causes someone to lose out and miss this opportunity of the turned table comes down to belief. Really does. In the gospel, Jesus said, John chapter 3, verse 16, really popular passage of scripture, says this, for God so loved the world. That's everybody. That whoever that's anybody, believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you know that when in Esther chapter 9, that when the tables turned, did you know the Bible says, and many people became Jews that day? Did you know that? If you read it, it's hilarious. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, hey, turns out I'm Jewish too. <laughs> that Literally, that's what happened because they saw the tables turn. People were like, whoa, whoa, I'm getting in on this. I'm Jewish. <laughs> and, and that literally happened. And then more than that, people that, that didn't convert to Judaism, all they had to do is not go try to kill Jews that day, and they were cool. Like, so this whole table turn thing could have worked for everybody in that province. Everybody could have had a good 13th day of Adar. Nobody had to get plundered or lost. And, and it occurred to me that, you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes that you won't lock eyes with a person so messed up that Jesus doesn't love and that Jesus didn't die for. And that literally in their situation, the tables have been turned, but they haven't accepted it yet. They haven't believed it yet. What would separate one that um, is experiencing God's forgiveness and experiencing transformation, experiencing new life, is simply one has believed and the other has not. Both have had their sins paid for. Both are loved by God. Both are called to trust him. But one believes the simple message. One does not. Believing is something that I believe God puts things in our lives to cause us to wake up to this idea of his love for us. He calls to us through the scriptures. He calls to us through circumstances in your life. He calls to you through other people. He speaks to your heart to reason with you to believe that, one, that he is. There's a God in heaven that exists, that's all-powerful, that created the heavens and the earth and everything we see, and, and one day is coming again. There's a God that loved, loved his creation so much that he sent his own son. God the Son became man and lived a perfect life and paid the penalty 
for the sins of the world so that the tables could turn for everybody so that we could experience forgiveness and life. And God sets things up for us to hear this, that he loves you, that he's actually for you, not against you. And things testify to this end so that we could believe and trust that there's an all-powerful God that isn't just distant, but came to demonstrate his love for you. He's already done all this. The table's already been turned. But he asks you to believe and to accept that he does love you. And he does mean good for you. And he does mean to transform you. And he does mean to chart a new course. Tables have been turned. And and my prayer today is that if you've been believing that you would wake up to the pot, you wouldn't just stand here, oh, reversal. No, you would keep wrestling. My prayer today is that if you've not believed yet, that you'd realize that there's a God that loves you that can transform and make things new. That's just so cool. I've heard so much about people's failures in the last few weeks. Uh, Harvey Weinstein. You know God loves that guy? Yeah, he's messed up and he's done some creepy things, but you know God loves that guy? And the tables have been turned for him, and if he could just believe, he could experience transformation. You're like, Harvey can? Well, then I'm okay. Yeah, you can too. Trev can? (laughs) Did you hear about my family tree? You can too. And God begins to do something beautiful in your life, and he makes something that was meant for disaster and and was meant for destruction. And he says, listen, I'm going to take all that stuff. I'm going to make it a thing that you're going to celebrate. You're going to nail to the wall and say, God did this because he turned the tables. And I believe that he did. It's by believing. It's by believing. You may say, well, I've got a lot of questions. You're going to have questions till you die. I've been married 30 years and I still have questions about Cindy. I don't know the answer to. There's sometimes she's a mystery. I'm like... I love her. I'm staying married. And you know what? You can have questions about a relationship with God too. You don't have to know all the answers. But you can love him and say, I believe. I don't have all the answers. But I believe. And let him begin to transform. Let him begin to work in your life. Let him begin to accomplish things that you didn't think were possible in you. He loves you today. And he's turned the tables. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the love that you show us, that your love is real. And you said, Lord, in your word that whoever calls on your name will be saved. You never had a prescribed prayer. You never had a complicated means of this, Lord. It's believe in our hearts, this good message that you you paid the price for our sins and that you do love us. And you can transform us as we trust you and follow you. And today I pray that as this stirs in our hearts, that we would be able to believe. That we'd experience transformation. And because the tables have most certainly been turned and that there would be new life birthed here today. That the plans the enemies has had for us would turn out to be for good and be a means of celebration. Father, work that in our hearts. 
Their heads still bowed for just a moment. Nobody's looking but you, just me, really. But just an act of a step of faith, just a step of saying, yeah, I, I do believe. I have questions, but I believe. If that's you today and you say, I, I believe, I believe that God's turned the tables and I'm asking him to work in my life, to forgive me and transform me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand just real high and say, that's me today. I'm going for it. Going for broke. Right on. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I know that just a whisper, Lord, is all needs take place from an honest heart that you'll begin to work miracles in. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for what you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Hey, um, I know that we've already uh, received offering today, but if you made a decision for Jesus and you said, man, I did that for the first time today, or maybe I've, this is my, you know, just reaffirming this in, in my life, um, let me know. <laughs> let somebody know. Tell a friend. Uh, nudge someone and say, hey, I'm doing that. Will you pray for me? Will you just, will you just pray for me? Because uh, the cool thing is this. This is real. I once had a friend. He had two beer names. Didn't go to church. And we were in Chicago. And we were studying the gospel with a group of people. And Bud Miller, and in fact, his email was two beers. He was in this thing. And God's love hit that heart. God's love hit this guy's heart so powerfully. He looked at me with tears in his eyes. He goes, Trev, this is real. <laughs> I'm like, bud, that's the best cussing I've heard in church in my life. <laughs> and that guy was transformed because why? He believed that God loved him and did these things for him. And, you, and let me tell you something. If you've begun this journey of believing, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family because there's no stepchildren in the kingdom of God. He loves you. Every bit as much as he loves anyone else. And trust and know that what God started in your heart today is real. And let somebody know. Let somebody know. That's the coolest thing ever. Will you stand with me? Uh, next week, we're going to be doing a, um, uh, Esther chapter 10. And we're talking about building a legacy. And I, I want to challenge all of you to come here. Now, we're coming up on Christmas. So here's what I would love to see happen. We're talking about gift giving through December. We've got a Christmas party coming. We've got Christmas Eve service. I'm going to ask you, how many know somebody in your life that, that you love but doesn't know yet that the table's been turned for them? How many have somebody like that in your life? We all do. Those are some of my dear friends. I love them. There are no us's and them's. There's a human race that God loves and died for. And I would encourage you to say, hey, will you come to church with me this Christmas season? Maybe Christmas Eve, maybe during one of the Sundays in December. Invite them out and let them hear the good news. Let them understand. Uh, just pray, God, give me the boldness to invite one of my friends. Uh, I want to encourage you to do that. There is nothing like the opportunity 
uh, to let somebody know that God's for them, not against them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, bless your people. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us realize that you're, you are for us. You have turned the tables.